Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm just really blessed to be able to share from God's Word uh, this afternoon. I just pray you all had a wonderful Christmas. I know for those of us who went to the outreach yesterday, it was an amazing day. So praise the Lord. Just excited to hear about it next week some more and see all the pictures, but it was an amazing day. So also welcome to the last December of 2021. Pretty crazy. This year went by really quick. What a crazy year it's been, but God is good. So if you have your Bibles today, please open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be in Mark 1 today. And before we get into the passages for today, just a quick kind of review. As we've been going through the Gospels chronologically, it's been a few months now, I think around six months since we've started this. Last week, um, Dave Eubank shared from Free the Oppressed Foundation. So if you were here, it was an amazing message and it was just really encouraging to me. And I know our family in Myanmar was really blessed by it. So please keep them in your prayers and continue to uh, lift them up. If you remember two weeks ago, we were in Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, and also John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. And Aaron was giving this message, and we looked at the official son who was about to die, and this official had sent to Jesus to have his son healed. At this point, Jesus had returned to his home in Galilee, right? Before this, Jesus had called six apostles or disciples, and Jesus went. He did the miracle at the wedding in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And then he was going through Samaria, where he met the woman at the well, and then he went home. And it was here that Jesus went, and he taught, and he manifested himself, and the people really rejected him in his hometown. Now, it's believed that at this point, Jesus had sent his disciples to their own homes for this time, and that Jesus was alone when he went into the synagogue, and when the officials came to Jesus requesting for his son to be healed. And if you remember back into um, John chapter 1, we saw that two former followers or disciples of John the Baptist were called by Jesus. It was Andrew and John. And then Andrew went and he grabbed his brother, Peter, called Simon in the text. And then John went and he grabbed his brother, James. And they, those four followed Jesus. After that, Jesus found Philip, also in John chapter 1. And then Philip went and he grabbed his friend Nathaniel, who was very reluctant to follow Jesus, but he too followed Jesus after that. So at this point, these six again experienced Jesus perform his first public miracle and turning the water into wine. They witnessed almost a great revival in Samaria because when Jesus had spoke to the woman at the well, she went back and told everyone in the city, and they, many of them believed in Jesus. So we're going to pick up today that Jesus is still in his hometown by the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to see here today that Jesus is actually going to go back and call his disciples a second time. So if you have your Bibles in Mark chapter 1, We're going to go ahead and read verses 16 through 20, and then we'll go back and we'll break them down together. Verse 16, Mark chapter 1. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. 
So if you have ever read this, maybe you didn't know this, but the disciples were actually called twice by Jesus, right? We saw this in John chapter 1, and now Jesus is calling these same men for a second time. If you notice in verse 16, it tells us that he found Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew, and that they were fishermen. Now, for fishermen, to be a fisherman, it wasn't the lowest job you could have in the society system, right? But it wasn't the best either. You, you had enough money to get by, but you certainly weren't rich by any stretch. If you were a Roman and you served Caesar, you were the highest in society. Then under you would be Herod Antipas and those who were officials for him. And then under him were the tax collectors. And then under the tax collectors were fishermen. Under fishermen were carpenters, merchants, and the lower end jobs. And we know that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was a carpenter. So he's very poor. So fishermen made a considerable amount of money. It wasn't horrible. The problem that came with fishermen was the taxes that they had to pay that was imposed on them by the tax collectors. So much so that people hated tax collectors so much because of the unfair taxes that were placed on them. And this could be a reason. I don't know. I just thought this was cool. In Matthew 17, when the temple tax had to be paid, Jesus told Peter to go find a coin in a fish's mouth. I just think it's a cool little detail. Um, I just wanted to share that. But you'll find that people really hated these tax collectors so much that they were in their own category to describe a sinner. If you read throughout Scripture, it was noted as sinners and tax collectors because they were hated that much and viewed to be that evil. The reason I bring all this up is because Peter, more than likely from a business standpoint, hated tax collectors. And in God's divine sovereignty... Jesus would bring together a tax collector in Matthew later on to serve alongside of Peter. And I love this because it really shows us the heart of Jesus that he would call these men. Because Jesus didn't promote the cultural practices of the world. He didn't show the partialities of culture, but instead he was promoting a different type of culture that is the kingdom of God. And I think it's so important as we serve God in a nation like this that we don't conform to the partialities of culture and society. We're not here to conform. We're here to promote the culture of the kingdom of God. And if we want to see true change and true revival, it starts with our hearts understanding that we're not here to be like these people. We're here to share about Jesus. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us. So at, the, at this point, these men started following Jesus, and they were beginning to understand who he was. Last thing I want to point out, and then we'll move on to verse 17. Notice the context here. As Jesus walked... By the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Jesus sought out Peter and Andrew, right? They went home, but they didn't seek him out. Jesus pursued them, and he went after them. And in the same sense for us, Jesus first pursued us before we ever pursued him. He came after us. We didn't seek him. The Bible tells us this in 1 John. We seek him because he first sought after us. And it's important for us because so many times we get so big-headed in ministry. It's very easy to take glory for ourselves, right? We had many outreaches this week, and maybe you can look back and be like, yeah, that was, that was us who did that, right? Or why isn't anyone else doing these things? And we get in our prideful self. No, it's not us. It's the work of God. Jesus has called us. He doesn't need us. He certainly didn't need two uneducated fishermen to follow him. In a, in a physical, practical standpoint, what could these men ever offer Jesus that's useful? Maybe if Jesus needed to eat a fish, what else? What could these men offer? 
No, Jesus didn't need them, but he wanted them. He gave them an invitation, and it's the same for each one of us. Never get too proud in ministry, because it can very easily be taken from you, because God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants us, and all glory needs to go to God. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is an amazing statement that Jesus made. Because Jesus was inviting these men to live for something that was so much bigger and so much greater than themselves. And that work was to further the kingdom of God. That work was to share the gospel with other people. Jesus was calling them to do something that they could never do themselves. And I love that about Jesus. Everything that he calls us to, we could never do it on our own. We could never do these things that God calls us to do in our own strength. We can only do it through the power of God. But notice, Jesus wasn't looking for credentials here. But he wasn't looking for a lack of credentials either. All that Jesus was looking for were hearts that would serve him. Hearts that would say, here I am, Jesus, use me. And I love this throughout the word of God. We just see who God called to use. Right? He called the uneducated in Andrew. He called the educated in the Apostle Paul. He called the poor in in Peter and John. He called the rich in Matthew, right? He called the easily-tempered Peter and the more mild-mannered disciples. It wasn't about credentials or lack of credentials. It's about hearts that say, here I am, God, use me. And that's an encouragement for me, and it should be an encouragement for all of us, because if you ever wonder, what could I possibly bring to the table? It's not about that. It's about surrendering to God and saying, Lord, use me. And I promise you this, when you pray that, he will use you. When you wake up and you say, God, use me to minister today, he'll use you to minister. If you say, Lord, please give me ministry opportunities, they're always around us. He'll open our eyes to see the ministry opportunities. Something else Jesus says in this verse, he says, I will make you become fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me, for you are fishers of men. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. The Greek phrase for make you become is a word called poio, and it means to prepare. It means to prepare. Jesus was going to spend the next three or so years, give or take, preparing these men for the work of ministry. He was going to lead them. He was going to teach them, instruct them, show them how to respond to to certain things. Things needed to be worked out of the disciples' hearts before they could run into ministry. And Jesus was going to use this time to prepare them for that. And it's the same for us. How many times do we rush out into ministry without first being taught by Jesus? And I'm not saying that we need to go to four years of Bible college in order to serve God. But what I am saying is we do need to be at his feet daily. Before we run out into ministry. Before we run out to do these things that we are spending time being taught by Jesus and being at his feet. Being prepared by God. Because if we're not prepared by God, we're going to get burnt out very quickly. And sometimes that happens to us. Sometimes we go minister and there's no joy in our hearts. There's no excitement in our hearts. Right? We're struggling. We're bitter. We're angry. We're impatient. We have to start at the feet of Jesus. We need to be in fellowship. That's why church is so important. Corporate worship is so important. You know, we see it today and many people aren't here today. And many times it's like, well, we did a lot of ministry this week so we could skip church. No. We need to be in fellowship. We need to worship. We need to encourage and exhort each other if we're to serve God. Let's move on to verse 18. We'll see the disciples' response in Peter and Andrew and how they respond to this 
calling by Jesus for the second time. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately followed. There was no hesitation recorded for these men. When it says they immediately left, it means they dropped what they were doing and they went right away. At that very instant, at that very moment. I love this kind of a faith that says, yes, Lord. No matter what, yes, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do and I'm going to do it right now. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to follow you, Lord. That's a beautiful faith to have. Instead of just sitting there, Wondering, what are other people going to think if I do this? Instead of thinking, how am I going to provide for myself and have financial needs met if I do this? If I leave my work behind, if I leave my, my family's business behind and I go follow Jesus. They didn't think about that. It says they immediately followed Jesus. And when I read this, I, had, I just asked this question, and I think it's a great question that we can think about. How would the world be different if believers instead of questioning their calling by God, went out and fulfilled their calling. So many times, we, we, it's in our human nature, we just want to question and doubt. We want confirmation after confirmation. We doubt God's calling for our lives, but what if we stopped doubting God's calling and we went out and did what he called us to do without worrying about what other people think, without worrying about the needs of this world, how we're going to afford things, how we're going to provide for families, to stop asking, what do I bring to the table? I don't know if I can serve God. We can. And what if we stopped doubting the calling of God and we walked in it? How would the world be different? Just think about that. And for the Christians waiting for society to go back to normal, you need to stop because it's not going to. It's not going back to normal. We need to live for Jesus. We don't have an excuse. We don't have a time off. And there's many people here, we, we were in the same category when we came here, People who are just kind of in Chiang Mai, who are kind of misplaced because they had to leave another nation they were ministering in. Maybe they're here by accident, or they were here for a visa run, or they were here for some other things, and they kind of got stuck here because COVID. Chiang Mai is a beautiful place, so if you were trapped here, you're pretty lucky because it's, it's a beautiful place. But God didn't call you here to vacation. You're here to minister. Whether you're here long term or not, God wants to use you, and are you going to be used by him? Are you going to surrender to that? People think ministry is halted because of COVID. I got some great news. It's not. Praise the Lord. Yeah, amen. It's not. People are still need the gospel. And as a matter of fact, this whole two years pandemic, it has actually caused a hunger and thirst for people. People are hopeless. They're desiring what we have in Jesus. So be in this constant state of readiness that Peter and, and Andrew were in. Right? I'm sure they were fishing, but they were ready. Any given instant, Jesus could come back. And when he came back, they were ready. Be in that state of readiness. Even if you're here temporarily or you're here by accident, there are no accidents in God's sovereignty. Maybe he's called you here for such a time as this to be used by him. Because as Pastor Aaron shared earlier when we were taking prayer requests, there is a revival stirring in this city. And we're honestly blessed beyond measure to be able to be a part of it. So just stuff to think about. Let's go to verse 19. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. So next, we see John and James. Again, these men had already been called by Jesus the first time in John chapter 1, and here they're being called by Jesus again. We get a little more details about this fishing business for these two men. We see their father was a fisherman, so it was a family business, right? They had hired servants, so this was they probably pretty well off in their father's business, 
However, despite this, we still know from Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John were uneducated. So they may have had money, but they were still uneducated and untrained. Verse 20. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. If you notice in this verse, it's a little differently worded than verse 17 and verse 18, right? Instead of saying they immediately followed Jesus, this time it says immediately Jesus called them. Sometimes the callings of God are like this. It's an immediate, in-the-moment calling. And just like Peter and Andrew, these two men were also in a state of readiness. They were ready to move when God called them to move, ready to leave when he called them to leave, and do what God called them to do. And I just wonder, can we have this same heart that when Jesus immediately gives us a calling, that we're able to do what these two men did? They left their father, they left their family, left their business, left their money-making business, left their hired servants, and they went and followed Jesus. Again, just like Peter and Andrew, these men didn't worry what people thought or what people said. They didn't worry about what the world would think of them or what society would say about them. They weren't being held back from following Christ unconditionally. And I wonder, is there something in our hearts, and I ask this for myself, right, as I ask it to everyone, is there something holding you back from what God is calling you to do? Many times it's our pride. We know what God's calling us to do, but we don't want to do it. So much so that we'll tell people that God is not calling us to do it. Maybe it's your desire for control. Maybe it's your comfortability. Maybe it's your dreams and your aspirations. I don't know. Maybe it's just giving up what the world tells you to do. But whatever it is, we would do well to follow this example and leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Well, let's look at verses 21. We'll read verses 21 through 28. And then we'll go back and break these down. We're going to see as these men are now following Jesus for the second time, where Jesus leads them. Verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. This is an interesting story because we see the first place recorded that Jesus leads his disciples after calling them a second time is a place with a demon-possessed man. It's not exactly the most fun place to go after Jesus just called you. I would have liked to go maybe go to dinner with Jesus, maybe, you know, just go have, you know, some some light ministry before we went into a place with a demon-possessed man, but that's not what happened. The first place God leads these men following him is to a synagogue with a demon-possessed man. And again, Jesus is preparing and training his disciples to follow him unconditionally, to follow him without reservation, to do what he called them to do. And every time the work of God is being done, it's always met with opposition and adversity. So in verse 21, it says they went on the Sabbath day into the synagogue. If you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Aaron had told us that there's one temple, but there's many synagogues, right? The synagogues are a place of worship for the Jewish people spread throughout all the regions, so that they have a place to go on the Sabbath day and worship. 
Now, it's interesting to me that a demon-possessed man would be in the synagogue, right? That's fascinating to me, right? It doesn't say they met him outside the synagogue. No, this man was in the synagogue. Another thing that fascinates me about this, this demon didn't manifest himself until Jesus started teaching. But we'll get more to that in a minute. So Jesus entered the synagogue and he taught. If you turn over to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 23, it gives us in the same timeline. It says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So it tells us in Matthew's gospel, we get the correlating verses, that Jesus was teaching in many synagogues. This was one of many that he went in, in Capernaum and throughout Galilee. And Jesus would teach. Verse 22, it says, They were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Many times when people would teach in the synagogue, many rabbis would quote other rabbis or quote other teachers. Many times their teaching, it wasn't original, right? It wasn't authoritative. It wasn't bold in any way. So this is why the author of, this is why Mark tells us that they were really astonished at his teaching. Because Jesus taught a different style of teaching. He taught him with confidence, boldness, and authority. And it wasn't like the scribes. And again, Jesus is a great example for us here. He shares the gospel with boldness. He shares the gospel without fear. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're called to share the gospel with the same boldness that Jesus shared the gospel with. Because we have the same spirit of God living in our hearts, as Romans chapter 8 tells us. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. This is how we're called to live, with a bold faith. And I pray for this every day, that I'd, I'd have this boldness that we read of, through the scripture. The boldness of Jesus in this synagogue and throughout his entire life. The boldness of the apostle Paul, who in Acts 14 was stoned in the city of Lystra for preaching the gospel. And it's one of my favorite stories because it says after he got stoned, he got back up and walked back into the city. The same place he just got stoned, he went back in to share the gospel. Or the boldness of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, which we could see that they, they followed Jesus' example because in Acts 4, they were arrested and beat for preaching the gospel. And they were told, if you preach this Jesus again, you're going to die. And they went out and they preached Jesus again. And that's the boldness we're to have. Where are the bold Christians at? Where are the bold Christians at? We make excuses, but do we go out with boldness? Well, I don't want to be looked down upon. Jesus said you're going to be hated. Check. We're already looked down upon. I don't want to push people away from the gospel. They're going to spend an eternity in hell if they don't accept Jesus. You can't push them away any further. Check. What's our next excuse? And I say this to myself more than anyone, right? I need to be bold, and I need to capitalize on the opportunities God gives me to share the gospel. Let's look at verses 23 through 24. And there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So again, as I just shared a little bit ago, I don't know why this demon-possessed man was in a synagogue. Kind of an interesting place for a demon-possessed person to be. And how this man opened himself up to the demonic world is not described in this text, but we know that this man was demon-possessed. And we know that demon possession is a very real thing. If you've been with us evangelizing, I'm sorry, at 
uh, top A gate. You see them. They're there when we evangelize. They're very real, and they exist today. The powers of darkness are still at work today. What I find very, very interesting here is he says, leave us alone. What have we to do with you? He talks plural. And we know that there's only one demon in this man. It's not listed that there were multiple demons. There's one demon. He said, why are you interfering with us? Another thing I find interesting, in the NLT version, it says, why are you interfering with us? This demon didn't manifest himself, so Jesus started teaching. So I just, maybe I'm looking too much into this. And I'm not saying that this is factual by any stretch, but maybe the demon was quite comfortable with what was being said and taught before Jesus taught. I don't know. I think it's interesting. And unfortunately, it can be very true today in many places of worship of God. This is why we teach through the Bible. This is why the Word of God is so important. It's so important that we go verse by verse through the Scriptures and that we teach the whole Word of God in truth. And we don't shy away from the truth of Jesus. But anyway, again, just something I thought was very interesting about this. And maybe you do too. And maybe you have the answers as to why this man was in the synagogue demon-possessed. I don't know. Now, I want you to notice again, the disciples stick with Jesus through this. They follow Jesus into this darkness, right? Into this dark place. And when this demon manifests itself, the disciples didn't flee. They didn't run away, right? I'm sure they were maybe shocked or fearful, but... They, they were there with Jesus, following him unconditionally, without reservation, even through adversity. Will we be willing to leave what we're comfortable with to follow Jesus to the uttermost parts of the world? Will we be willing to follow Jesus without conditions and without reservations, even through times of adversity, even through opposition, and even through hardships? I'm sure it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in for the disciples, but they stayed with Jesus through it. And I wonder if we could do the same. Last thing before we move on to verse 25, Jesus' response to this demon-possessed man. The demon very knows well who Jesus is. The demon's not wrong when he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's not a wrong claim. So how does this happen? Well, if you turn over to James, turn over to James chapter 2, verse 19, we get a little clarity about this. And it says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That's pretty interesting. I, when I read that verse, I don't know about you, but that's it's kind of a scary verse to read because there's a lot of people who say, I believe in God, but they don't follow Jesus. You believe in God, great. The demons believe in God. They know who he is, but do you follow him? Have you surrendered to him? Well, let's see Jesus' response to this demon in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. I love that verse. When I read that the first time, I got chills when I read it. Because Jesus, it doesn't say that Jesus was afraid, that he drew back a little bit, that he was a little hesitant. No, it says, be quiet, come out of him. That's some power and authority right there that Jesus has over the demon. I love that. And I love how the disciples are here and how they have witnessed these miracles of Jesus before. They follow Jesus. I'm sure they're uncomfortable or afraid. But then Jesus shows his power and his authority. How many times are we fearful of the enemy when spiritual warfare arises in our lives? How many times are we afraid of the lies the enemy puts in our head? And I'm not going to lie to you. I get afraid every single day when I believe the lies of the enemy. You're not fit to serve God. What are you going to do next month when there's no money in your bank account? 
And I start to get fearful and I start to believe these lies. How are you going to go back home to, to visit in the new year? Look at the restrictions in the world right now. That's not going to happen. God's not calling you here. These lies. And when I believe them, I do get fearful in my heart. And how many times does that happen to you? When you face opposition from the enemy. The devil doesn't want the work of God to be done. He doesn't want the kingdom of God to be further. That's why this demon manifested itself and started screaming in this synagogue because it did not want the teaching of Jesus to continue. But then we read this verse, and it says, Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. And I just want you to think about what you're afraid of from the enemy, and then I want you to remember who your God is. I want you to remember who Jesus is. This is the God that we serve. The God that didn't shy back from this demon, but the God who rebuked him openly with power and authority and defeated this demon. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul put it like this. He said, Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus has no rival. Again, I've said this many times before, and if there's people here from youth group, you know I've said this a lot. Get the comic book idea of God out of your head where he has this big villain who is a great rival to him. That's not the case. Satan and his demons have already been defeated. God is greater. He has no rival. And the good news for us is the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, so we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. First John 4, 4. You don't have to turn there. I don't think it's on the screen, but it says, Greater is he living within you than he who is in the world. We don't have to be afraid. So with this boldness, knowing our God is greater than these things, we're to follow Jesus and preach the gospel at any cost. Let's look at verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. This demon didn't have a choice. It didn't have a say in the matter. It had no choice but to submit to Jesus. It had no choice but to follow what Jesus said. Because again, Jesus is greater than this demon. He's greater than any threat we'll ever face. We make many excuses many times that we can't do the work of God. The opposition is too great. Right? I loved what Dave shared last week. Because he shared when he went to Tajikistan, the people told him, don't share Jesus. You can't share Jesus. And he was like, if I can't share Jesus, I'm not going. And he went and he shared Jesus. We give the enemy too much credit. We give him way too much credit. Even this, this week, going into this week, I thought, man, we have so many outreaches this week. With going to the Central Festival, with going Christmas Eve service, with going caroling, going Saturday, where we went yesterday for this outreach. And I just thought, man, I'm nervous because I know the spiritual warfare is going to be great. And then I read these verses and God convicted me. He said, stop fixing your eyes on the warfare and fix your eyes on me who can deliver you from this. Stop giving the enemy credit and remember who I am. When and how did we forget as a church that Jesus is God and he has all power and authority? Well, how do we forget this? When did we forget this? Jesus is God. He has all power and authority. Let's move on to verses 27 through 28, and we'll wrap up with these two verses. Then they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. The people were greatly amazed at what Jesus did, but what they were even more amazed by was not that he casted out a demon, but how he did it, with power and authority. The world was attracted, and they saw the boldness of Jesus, and it drew them to him. And I truly believe that this is true for us today. When we are bold, and the world sees the boldness that we have to share Jesus, 
right? And the lengths and the depths that we'll go through to share the gospel and the bold love in our hearts for people that we don't care if even we lose our lives. It attracts people to the gospel. When people see this boldness, they are astonished just like they were astonished at Jesus when he did this bold act of teaching and casting out this demon. When the world sees a bold love in our hearts, again, they're going to be astonished in the same way and they're going to be drawn to Jesus. But for many of us, many times sharing the gospel becomes a job more than a lifestyle. We lose the boldness. We lose the heartbreak and the heartache for people who are far from Christ, right? We lose the hope of Jesus. We lose the joy in sharing with Jesus. And again, this is why it all goes back to sitting at the feet of Jesus, being taught by him, remembering that we need him. Are we going to go out with the authority of Jesus? Matthew chapter 28, which if you're in your Bibles, for me, it's one page over. You don't have to turn anywhere. If you look at verse 18 of chapter 28 of Matthew, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority. There is no threat, no demonic force or power or presence or darkness or nation or government or kingdom that can stand against Jesus Christ and his holy word. God has all authority. And with this boldness, we're to go out and share the hope of Jesus, following him unconditionally without reservation and doing what he called us to do. If you notice in Matthew 28, if you go to verse 19, he says, Therefore, knowing that I have been given all power and authority, what does he say? Make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I love this. So I'll I'll conclude with this as we just wrap up these verses for today. As we studied Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 28, we studied Jesus calling these men, these four men, for a second time, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Jesus had called these men to follow him immediately, And they followed him immediately. They dropped their nets, dropped what they were doing, dropped their business, and went, and they followed Jesus without condition. They went, and they were willing to leave what they knew, what they were comfortable with to follow and serve God. They didn't wait. They followed immediately. And where is the first place that we see written in the text that Jesus led them to a place of adversity in encountering a demon-possessed man? Yet despite this, they still followed Jesus. They trusted Jesus, and Jesus asserted his authority over this demonic being. And he showed that he is God, that he has all power and authority. With boldness, Jesus set an example for the disciples. And that example was given so the disciples would follow in that, and they too would go out and be bold for Jesus. Go back to the original verses, right? I believe it's verse 17 of Mark chapter 1, where Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men. I will teach you. I will give you an example for you to follow. He did this. And I love scripture because we get the next picture in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John. They followed that example. They went out, bold in the faith, died for the faith, and never once backed down. Peter denied Jesus, but he got restored after that, right? But these men followed the example of Jesus to follow him unconditionally. And for us, it's the same lesson, same message for us. We need to follow Jesus, do what he's called us to do. There's a revival stirring in this city. Let's stop sitting behind and let's get out there. Let's do the work he called us to do. Let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, God, for your love and your mercy. And Lord, again, as Lord, we had sang that song earlier, Lord. Lord, we need you. God, it's so true. We do need you. We need you more than we could ever understand or comprehend, Lord. 
But we know that you don't need us, God, but you want us. And you've given us an invitation to follow you and serve you to further your kingdom. So thank you, God, for wanting us. And thank you for calling us to follow after you and serve you, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would follow this example of Jesus to go out with boldness, Lord. We would follow these examples of these disciples who followed you without a condition, Lord, without reservation, that we would do the same. Give us boldness, Lord. Give us faith. Increase our faith, God. And help us to do what you've called us to do. We love you so much, Lord, and we just pray you continue to bless our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.